Parents, we thank you for entrusting your children to us uh, for this week. It's been a great week, as you can tell, and a lot of excitement. And uh, we look forward to seeing the other decisions continue to be made in the weeks and months to come uh, throughout the uh, summer season and even into the fall, perhaps. But uh, I think um, Ms. Allison is also going to have a new Christian, new believers class in uh, August. And uh, I know that may be of benefit to those who are anticipating making a decision for Christ and those who have made it. That's kind of a discipling first step uh, process for helping you grow in your faith. And that's what we've been talking about uh, in this month of June. Uh, We came right off of that series that we did six weeks on heaven. And now we've been these five weeks in the month of June talking about our spiritual growth and growing to spiritual maturity and experiencing uh, what God wants us to experience in the way of growing strong and maturing uh, into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's been, a, it's been an interesting thing as we've looked at different passages of scriptures, the way that God has spoken to us in the different ways through the different authors of these books and letters about how he addresses that concept of spiritual maturity and how we're supposed to grow towards that. So today I want us to wrap it up by talking about how we can maintain um, that spiritual development, that spiritual growth in our life. Now, that doesn't mean that we reach a point and we just stop right there to maintain it. But what I'm talking about is the maintaining of our spiritual maturity to where we maintain that process, to where we keep growing and growing and growing in our faith, growing in our relationship with God in the ways that He would have us to grow and to mature. So, I want you to look with me at an interesting passage of Scripture as Paul comes near the end of his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And he writes to the Thessalonians, and, and he gives them some, uh, some uh, commandments or some uh, admonitions about how they should live uh, the spiritual life and some ways that they can maintain that spiritual growth. He says, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Now, in these uh, eight admonitions that uh, the Apostle Paul gives to us uh, for our spiritual development and maturity, uh, he he wraps them up into four categories that I think just neatly just give us uh, an extrapolation from the text here about what Paul says to us about how we can maintain the spiritual maturity process. First thing he says is we need to develop an attitude of joyful, thankful prayer. Paul writes and says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if I ask you a simple question, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? How many of you know that? What is that verse? Jesus wept. Well, you're wrong. You've been told that all your life. You've been told that all your life, and and it's not so. It is in the English, two words, Jesus wept. But the one verse here that says, uh, be thankful always, rejoice always, it's, a, it's, a, it's shorter in the Greek. It's, a, it's, it's only two words from 14 letters. 
But Jesus wept in John 11 is actually three words and 16 letters in the Greek. So now you learned something today. That's just a little piece of trivia for you, okay? You can trick people on that. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? He said, well, let's go back to the original language in the Greek, okay? All right, now, when we talk about joy, a lot of people misconfuse it with, confuse it with, uh, have a misunderstanding and confuse it with happiness. Happiness is not the same as joy. Happiness depends upon your circumstance. It actually comes from the word, old English word, hap, which talks about your fortune, or it talks about uh, your luck. And so, if you're having a run of good luck and good fortune, you're happy. But joy, on the other hand, is never determined by your circumstances. Joy is what we experience in a relationship with Christ. Puts a smile on our face. Puts Christ in our heart and in our lives. And it's a totally different way to live. Circumstances don't diminish our joy. They might make us unhappy, but it doesn't diminish our joy. And while we're here today also celebrating uh, missions offerings and our giving to cooperative program that seeks to reach people around the world, uh, I'm reminded of a, a project that the Southern Baptist Missionary put together in Nicaragua a few years ago uh, in a great revival campaign and, and an evangelistic campaign. And one of the couples out of the 133 people who came to know Christ, one of the couples uh, were, were saved. It was a radical save for them in their life. And their neighbors began to notice something different about them. And they asked them one day, asked the lady, why is it now that you always have a smile on your face? And she said, until we met Jesus Christ, she said, I had no reason to smile. You see, that's what joy brings into your life. Now, let's look at what Paul says. First of all, he says, rejoice always. Why? What are some reasons you have that can, uh, can help you rejoice always? Let me give you several things. First of all, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your name is recorded in heaven. Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Secondly, you can face the world every day knowing that God is with you. That's something I think in the song our children sang for us. There are no circumstances that you will ever face in your life that you and God together cannot handle. Now, what sin do you think you can commit that Jesus cannot forgive? If, when the soldiers were nailing him to that cross, he cried out and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Do you think there's any sin that you can commit now, even in Christ, and it cannot be forgiven? He said, those are some reasons to rejoice always out of a multitude of others that I'm sure you can come up with. The second thing Paul says is, pray continually. Now, pray without ceasing, I think in other translations. So, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean you're just on your knees and devote yourself 24 hours every day to praying. It means that you take advantage of your relationship with Christ so that you can pray to God anytime and anywhere. Now, what it means really to me is you should start your morning with a time of devotion and prayer. And part of my devotional thought is, is out of our open window, Southern Baptist devotion. And I particularly use it because we get the birthdays of the missionaries and I can pray for them. And whether you use uh, open windows or daily bread, you ought to have something else with a little bit more uh, strength to it that will help you grow. I try to pick out several different things that will help me in my devotion time. But then you start your day with prayer. And then as you go through the day, then you come to understand that there are different times that you pray. You know, you've got God there with you. You can pray with him at any time. So it's like two guys riding in a the car. They can be on an eight-hour trip. And there might not be but 40 minutes total of conversation. And that's the world of difference between men and women, isn't it? 
Now, I mean, I'm not criticizing women. I'm just pointing out a difference. Uh, women generally are more verbal. They're about three times more verbal than men. You see, I, now I have at my age a little bit of hearing deficiency, especially in some high ranges. I can't hear some beeps and things like that. And the only thing we can attribute it to is I've been in ministry now almost 38 years. You figure out all the deacons meetings I've had to sit through. Now, a lot of times we'll be riding down the road and Cookie is talking and, and normally you know, she's, she's just a woman. So, she's talking about, talking all the time, you know. I, I'm, I'm serious. And everything is that spiderweb effect. Everything is related. And, you know, after a while I just tune around. And then all of a sudden I notice the talking has stopped and I look at her. And she says, well, and I have to say, well, What? I wasn't listening. Selective hearing, I think, is what it's called. But, see, when you, when, you, when, when you have that relationship with God, He's there 24-7. And whenever you feel like talking to Him, whenever you have the need to talk to Him, then that's when you can talk to Him. But you begin your day in that attitude of prayer and let it go on all day long. Now, what gives you some reason to, to pray to God like that? Well, let me ask you three questions. Do you believe that God is all-present? Is he everywhere and nowhere can you go and be out of God's presence? That's our omnipresent. Do you believe that God is all-knowing, that he is omniscient? He knows everything from the beginning to the end. He knows what's going to happen and take place. And do you believe that God is all-powerful, that he can do all things? He can answer your prayer. He can do whatever it is that needs to be done in your life. Well, if you believe those three things, and those are the three basic inclusive uh, uh, descriptions of God, that he's all-present, all-knowing, and all-powerful, then you ought to be encouraged to pray to him because he can do things in your life. That's why you ought to be praying constantly, pray continually. Then Paul comes to the statement here that might give us a little bit of trouble. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the one that gives me trouble. Does it give you trouble? Can you give thanks in all circumstances? See, we all, we have some bad circumstances that come to us in life. Can you give thanks in that? I'm reminded of a story told by uh, one of the great Scottish pastors, Alexander White, uh, who always began his prayers every Sunday morning in worship with a great prayer of thanksgiving to God. On one particular Sunday morning, it was a horrible day weather-wise. There was cold, there was freezing rain coming, it was snow, the temperatures were, were sub-freezing and all of that. And the people wondering, how is he going to be thankful today? He bowed his head and he said, Lord God, we thank you that the weather is not always like this. You see, you kind of take that attitude about that and you, you apply it to everything else in your life. Now, there is a difference between being thankful for all things and being thankful in all things. Let's watch a short 50-second video. I'm thankful for sickness and disease. I'm thankful for my purse being stolen. I'm thankful for minimum wage. I'm thankful for bullies. I'm thankful for high cholesterol. I'm thankful for speeding tickets. I'm thankful for women.
As the scripture said, be thankful in all things. And they all said they were thankful for things. But I think they had the right concept. So the question is, what's the value in giving thanks in all circumstances? And throw out some possibilities. We've, we've been hit with this in the life of our church in the last two years. You lose your job. There's no more need for you where you work. The pathology report comes back positive instead of negative. A relationship that was special to you ends on a really bad note, ends painfully. Someone you love dies. How can you give thanks and why should you be thankful in those circumstances? It's tough to do. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, those are the times that we can give more glory to God than at other times. You see, think about some of the things you've gone through. Suffering. Why be thankful in it? Well, because you can show everybody around you that God supplies you the grace to get you through it. What about fear? We all have fears about certain things. You can thank God you have an opportunity to tell others of how God protects you. Now, some of our children like Vacation Bible School left, but I'm hoping uh, there's enough of them left you can help me with this. What was our motto this week for Vacation Bible School? What? Facing, facing fears, trusting God. And what was the scripture verse? What did it tell us? That's right. See, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a, a, a spirit of love and power and a strong mind. Facing our fears, that's what they studied all week long. A great, a great study. And they remember that God gives us the spirit to deal with it. Not of fear or timidity, but of power and strength and love. Now, how about death? See, how can you be thankful in the experience of death? If it's the loved one you have who dies and they are in Christ, you can be thankful for the fact that death is not the end of existence. But God, through Jesus Christ, has given us eternal life in heaven. I have a funeral here tomorrow for one of our senior adults. I've known her well over 25 years. I am so thankful that I'll be able to stand right here and tell the family there is hope beyond the grave. You see, and that's where I can give thanks in that. So Paul says, be in a, a spirit of prayer and all of that. All of it wraps up in this whole attitude. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, the second thing he says is this, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. He says here, do not put out the Spirit's fire. I think the King James says, don't quench the Spirit. Now, of course, in the Bible, fire is a, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit of God. And God has given us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity for various reasons. Uh, he, to gift us spiritually. When we come to, to know Christ and be born again, the Spirit comes to live in us. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life and begins to gift us. And we get those spiritual gifts that the Bible talks about. Then God gave us the Holy Spirit to comfort us in times of mourning and sadness. He, to teach us. Jesus said He'll teach you all things. And also to convict us of our sins, even when we are saved and in Christ. And then to lead us and guide us and to urge us or nudge us into action. Now, here's the way the Holy Spirit works in our life. If you're not a believer, the Holy Spirit is working on the outside of your life to convict you of your sin and the righteousness of Christ and the need for you to accept Christ and repent of your sins. 
Now, if you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in your life. And in your life, the Holy Spirit is working to shape you into the mature person that God wants you to be and then urges you, nudges you gently sometimes, sometimes forcefully to do the things that you need to do for the glory of God at that time. So why should you not quench the Holy Spirit? Well, how about this? When was the last time you had a prompting or a call or a name or a face came to mind? And you thought, I need to send that person a card or an email or a phone call or something just to encourage them. And then the day goes by and you forget about it. You say, that was the Holy Spirit urging you, nudging you to contact that person. I found out a long time ago that if I'm in my prayer time and it's a routine time of prayer and God keeps bringing a, mind, a name or a face to mind, you know, he's interrupting my thoughts because he's got something he wants me to understand. And oftentimes it's one of you all. You come to mind. I pray for you. And then usually later on that day, uh, if not that day, then the next day or sometime in there, I call you and say, you know, God just put you on my mind. You see, that's an urging and a prompting from the Holy Spirit. That's why you don't want to quench the Spirit. When's the last time God nudged you through the Holy Spirit to share your faith with somebody? Perfect witnessing situation. Perfect opportunity to say, let me tell you how my faith in Jesus Christ helps me through times like this. And you didn't do it. See, that's quenching the Holy Spirit. When have you done something that you knew was wrong? Because God even put scripture in your mind through the Holy Spirit to warn you about it. And you still went ahead and did what was wrong. You see, that's quenching the Holy Spirit of God. So don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit of God. Third thing to keep on in your spiritual walk with God is this. Live by the truth and wisdom of the Bible. What the scripture actually says here in our reading today in New International Version says this. It says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now, when we hear the word prophecy, most of us think about foretelling the future. A lot of people want to know, where are we in prophecy? And I say, well, we're right where we're supposed to be right now. You know, and I believe the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Every promise that God has made so far has come true. And every promise that he's made about the future, it'll come true. And everything is happening the way that God is orchestrating it. He's still in charge. We're not. So everything is okay with that. But what this really means here when Paul says that we are not to treat prophecies with contempt, he's talking about not foretelling, but foretelling the Word of God, the truth that we now know from the Old Testament, the New Testament, the revelation of, of God's work and movement through Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. And that's what we're supposed to be telling, foretelling that. And it's just simply preaching the Word. It's simply getting in the Word and studying the Word so that you learn the wisdom and truth of the, of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Also this week in Vacation Bible School, our fellowship center. Well, this whole place, if you didn't see it, you need to come next year for, for Bible school and look at all. These are just some of the props that we had. Decorations everywhere, all carrying through with that theme. Well, the, the fellowship hall was transformed into the Cotton Candy Cafe. And that's where the children came to get their snacks every day. Now, if you've seen the pictures on Twitter or Facebook, you would think that I spent all day. I spent all my time in the kitchen there in the fellowship hall. You know, that, that, we had watermelon. Rick was standing right there with me while we were chowing down on watermelon over the trash can so all that juice would go in there. They took my picture, not his. <laughs> well, you would think that's where I spent my time, but I didn't. 
But there was a sign in there in the midst of all the other signs that got my attention. And it said, feasting on God's word. Listen, if you want to grow to spiritual maturity, you need to feast on God's word. You need to take it in regularly. You need to take it it regularly. Remember this. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Bible is irreplaceable in your life for spiritual growth and development. Let me share with you a little moment in, in Western history. I thank you that Sharon gave me the right name. I, I watch the Western Channel a lot. I read Westerns. That's my hobby. But there's a guy on the Western Channel, Bob Bowes Bell, who comes on to give us a true Western moment. And he tells us some tidbit of history. Well, I got thinking about, and it came across somehow in one of the books I was reading about the Pony Express. You've heard the Pony Express. Well, it basically was the imagination of three men, Russell, Majors, and Waddell, who wanted to have a faster way to deliver mail. And the particular route was from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California. It took 30 days by that normal process. But they wanted to do it faster, so they developed this Pony Express. And they advertised for guys. You couldn't be over a certain height, couldn't be over a certain weight, about 130 pounds. And they really advertised for orphans because that tells you something about the job, doesn't it? Yeah. They were all outfitted in a red shirt and blue pants. And they all had the same basic equipment, a light saddle, a revolver, and a light repeating a rifle. And they took that mail bag, put it on that light uh, saddle, and they literally sat on it to keep it safe. And they would have... A, a, a station to change horses about every 10 miles because that's about as far as you could travel at a gallop on the horse. And then they would change and do another one and that, and they, they got paid $125 a month. But there was something else that was added to what the, the, the Pony Express riders carried. And if it was important enough back then, it surely is important enough today. But Alexander Majors, one of the three men who started, was a Christian. And he resolved by the help of God to overcome all the obstacles and difficulties in starting the Pony Express. And so he presented each rider, remember he already had a saddle, a pistol, and a rifle, also with a Bible. Now they were concerned about weighing the horses down, but yet it was important for each one of them to have a Bible. And this is an oath that they had to take. While I am in the employ of A Majors, I agree not to use profane language, not to get drunk, not to gamble, not to treat animals cruelly, and not to do anything else that is incompatible with the conduct of a gentleman. And I agree if I violate any of the above conditions to accept my discharge without any pay for my services. That was a revelation to learn that. I did not know that about Pony Express until recently. So now I can say to you that this is a true Western moment. That's just a little tidbit for you. You know, another thing about the shortest verse, another little, another little trivia that you might uh, can use somewhere in life. What do Christians do with their Bibles? I read this week that Americans spend $1.7 billion every year on Bibles. And look at the shape that most churches are in and the spiritual condition of most believers. They must either use them for paperweights or doorstops. Because I don't believe you're reading them and studying them. Because every indication says Christians today are really no different than the non-Christian culture in which we live. There's very little that distinguishes us. You want to grow in your spiritual maturity, you got to remember that God has called you out of that world. You live in the world, but you're not to be of the world. you got to feast on the Bible if you want to grow 
and maintain that spiritual growth. I was reading through the Psalms, reading through the Bible. Just finished uh, Psalms uh, one day last week. And remember Psalm 119 says, uh, verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Feast on the word of God. Now here's the fourth thing. This wraps it all up. The Apostle Paul writes and says, test everything by the word of God. He says, test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Now last week I mentioned this and I gave you some erroneous material when we talked about the fact that people were gullible. You know, we were in Ephesians 4 and it talked about the fact that the Greek word there meant literally don't be ignorant or stupid. I said stupid is a pretty strong word. You aren't supposed to call people that. But uh, then we talked about the fact, let's say a gullible. And we talked about some things that people as believers are really gullible about. And I talked to you about the autographed pictures of Jesus. Well, they weren't, uh, they weren't on a website. I went back and looked at my reading that they were literally on eBay. And it, uh, an autographed picture of Jesus Christ advertised on eBay for $31.50. And people were buying them. Do you think non-Christians are going to buy that? No. That's believers who are buying that. And then there's another deal. Here's a great deal. You can buy a package deal of holy water, olive oil, and a stone from the Holy Land for $8.50. And you can rub it on whatever part of your body ails you and immediately be healed. And gullible believers buy it. Don't be gullible. Be mature. Test everything by the Word of God. Even what I say to you. Test it by the Word of God. Test it by the Word of God. 1 John 4, 1 says... Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are a lot of false prophets out there. Southern Baptists, for some reason, are most vulnerable to being a victim of a cult than any other denomination. We fought a long battle over the Bible. What is it, really? Now we're coming up and fighting Calvinism. That's the next big issue. That I don't think is in the Bible. A man created that, okay? But that's later. I'll talk about that later. What do you do with the Word of God? You've got to filter it through the Word, everything out there through the Word of God. Let me tell you one other thing I thought, well, some people were gullible. There's this woman named Ellen Grieve in, in Australia that she came up with this New Age philosophy called breathitarian. Instead of being a, a vegetarian, she's a breathitarian that you did not have to have the intake of food and water. But you could have the holy breath of air that God wants you to have and you could live. And you know what? I believe the youngest person in here can tell you that's stupid. You can't live without food and water. Right? But she had followers. And their families were amazed when they died. Oh, gullible. That's being kind to them, isn't it? They were even filming a documentary on this woman. And for over a weekend, about a second day, she started to be dehydrated. And they wanted to stop filming. She said, no, 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 it's just evil air, you know. By the third day, the doctor said, we've got to stop this. This woman is totally dehydrated, you know. I said, you follow that? You can't have air? You're going to live off of air? That'd be nice to think so. How gullible we are. Test everything through the Word of God. Test everything through the Word of God. Now, let's wrap it all up. How do we grow to spiritual maturity? We have a part to play. We have to want it. We have to desire it. We've got to have the spiritual disciplines in our life. Read your Bible. Have a time of prayer. Have devotion time. 
You know, get in a Bible study class. Attend worship regularly. Hear the Word of God. Feast on the Word of God. But ultimately, it's up to God. We do our part, but it's up to God. Listen to how Paul closes it out in verse 23. He says, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's God who matures us and develops us. And He gives us one other affirmation as He ends in verse 24. He says, The one who calls you is faithful and He will do it. It's kind of like what Paul said in Philippians 1.6 when he wrote and said, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, it's God who will bring about that spiritual maturity. But we have to want it. We have to work with him through those spiritual disciplines and then trust him that he will bring it about in our life and develop us and grow us as mature believers in Jesus Christ.